Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. Now, if you've been listening to me for any time, we have two guests, and this is the second one. Debbie, hey, Debbie, how you doing? Good morning to you. How are you? I am fabulous. Um, Debbie Snow Walsh, and she is one of our resident experts who comes once a month. And if you haven't heard her before, please go back and listen to some of our previous podcasts. Debbie is a builder of organizations and talent executives, where she focuses on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and thought and views. Her own passion, she's been a business owner, entrepreneur. She's been um, working for um, Fortune 100, 200 companies. And, you know, she has just grown her relationship, which is three decades old. I can't believe that. Um, we have just been back and forth and the best of friends and trying to figure out how do we manage this thing called talent acquisition, talent management, and productivity. So with that, hey, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I am doing great. There's so much change in the workplace, so much uh, challenge in the workplace, and so much opportunity in the workplace. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. Um, and it's looking at how we entice people, how we engage people, and how we help them to enhance their careers while they're enhancing the efforts of the companies that they're working for. And, you know, you, you're now back inside, right? You're with Brown yep. and Brown Insurance Company Brown as Brown, a head right? of talent for them. And just kind of we before the we started recording, we've been talking about all the places that we're trying to get to, to look at talent. But today, I think we're going to talk a little bit about as a female CEO or a person in the C-suite, because it's a different, it's different. You know, it is so different once you get there and, and even down to how you get there. I was looking, um, you know, and preparing for this, I was listening, uh, I read, excuse me, I read something from um, AAWU, American Association of University Women. And the thing they talked about was is the the number one thing that women don't seem to do is to learn is to learn how to mobilize their network. Fifty percent of men, when they're going for the C-suite or the CEO in particular, get detailed information about the position, who are the players, and they get coaching on how to present themselves, where only 15 percent of women get it. And the other statistic that I found interesting was 77 percent. Uh, women report, if you're looking at all the others, say that they lack the information on how to advance their career and they're less likely to get PL responsibilities. They have to fight to get it, which is a criteria for getting to the C-suite. What do you think about that, Debbie? 
Well, I think you can't get to the C-suite without P&L responsibility. And that should be the number one, the number one thing that people strive for, that women strive for, is to make sure that they do have an opportunity to have P&L responsibility. There's just no reason not to have it. I think it's absolutely true. I think we see more women in the service support roles, lots of female CHROs, lots of female general counsels, lots of females in strategy, Mm -hmm. uh, but not always the COO as a female, uh, not always the CFO as a female, not always um, females as presidents of divisions or presidents of regions where Mm -hmm. they'll have tons of P&L. But I think that that's the key. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. not. I think I know it's the key. And I encourage everyone to have, every female to have an opportunity, not one, but many opportunities to lead an organization where, you know, as I say, it translated to this, you got to put bread on the table of your people. Mm-hmm. You're the person responsible. And this goes back to my big five, Denise. Mm-hmm. Articulate of the ability to articulate a vision and get people to march into any room and any place with you to execute that. The ability to drive financial results through teams of people. I don't make money for me. You make money for me. So how do I people to do that? The ability to act as a change agent in the changing economy, in the changing industries, in the changing world order. We have absolutely seen those changes in the last three years. Um, The ability to uh, develop people, develop people beneath you, develop people next to you, your colleagues, develop people above you. Those CEOs need help too. And the ability to do it with, um, with intent, with integrity with righteousness. And Mm -hmm. and these, I think, to any CEO and any person leading, but being able to help people and understand that, you know, what you do and what they do is putting bread on the table, making their mortgage payments. That's what we're doing. And I, I, you know, I don't think we often talk about it in these terms of this is what the criteria, because I, you, I know you do, I do. I hear so many women say, what does it take to advance my career? What do I need to do to advance my career? And it, it's interesting because in, in many ways, it's it's easy to say, difficult with all the things that we have to do to get there. It's make sure that you hit the, you know, punch your tickets in various places, which is what you were talking about. You got to have P&L experience and you got to have it multiple times over there. Don't be afraid of that. You got to have a network of individuals who are going to help you and sponsor you. And it's not a, they take you on, it's you developing those relationships, trusted relationships where those individuals want to help you and you want to help them. It's a reciprocal thing. It's not a one-sided, oh, teach me, teach me, teach me, which is one of the reasons I, I'm, it's, you know, we've, we've narrowed down sponsorship and narrow and, and mentorship to a one-way traction here. That's not a relationship. We need to think about this as a relationship. And then the third thing I think is really, really important is you have to have that sense of purpose that you talked about. What is my leadership? Why do I want to be a leader? What is it that ultimately, when I look back over my career, over what I've done, what's the one or two things that define my purpose in life, my piece of the puzzle, in particular, how I work? You know, I read something recent, we're always reading, and you and I have always talked about this, who has time to read, but we have to read and we Mm -hmm. find such interesting information. You pick out pieces, people talking about just today, it was in a fortune uh, article about defining your superpower. Mm. 
everyone, if they stop to think about that, really understands a theme that runs through their career, a theme that runs through their success, something that they're absolutely terrific at. I'm not saying that other people aren't terrific at it too, but something that defines how they um, are known within their organization. You know, I have a theme running through my career of taking on things I don't know anything about, nothing, Mm -hmm. learning and being successful at it. You know, I have a theme of running through my career at making those relationships. And part of that comes out of me as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I was one of the kids that was thrown into the deep end of the pool. We still do it sometimes. We don't mm-hmm. put kids into a training program. And by kids, I mean first year out of college, first mm-hmm. job. You come out, you apply for it, or someone recruits you to it, or your mom or your dad's best friend is in the business, whatever, put them in. I was one of those people that just went to sell without having any sales experience, Mm -hmm. not having a training program. Mm -hmm. And I was really good at it. And sales is forming relationships. It's making relationships. It's listening skills of what's needed by the person you're selling to and being able to find out if you can deliver to them what it is they need Mm -hmm. and closing the deal. And that kind of sales mentality is a theme that runs through my career as well. It's those, that superpower that people look for, need to look for. You know, I when I counsel people on their resumes, there's only two things that stand out to me as a thousands of resume reader um, and a talent executive. And one is how you make money for the organization, how you demonstrate that you have made money for the organization, right. or you demonstrate how you've saved money for the organization yep. in real dollars and cents and real percentages and the things that people look for. And we're coming up on those times when people are doing performance reviews and whatnot. So as you're thinking about your performance review, look back and say, okay, how did I make money? How did I save money? And each of us, I don't care what role you are, whether you're the, you know, on the call center or whether you're, you know, in the project management office. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be in the PL. You should be able to look back over what you've done over the last 12 months and figure out how you either made money or saved money. And then the hard part is how do you articulate that? Right. And, but you got to keep working at doing those kinds of things. I also wanted to go back to something else that you said. In, in terms of this idea of being able to think about what is the thread that that goes through my career, you know, when you're you know, obviously when you're in your 20s or 30s and you haven't quite gotten your career together, it may be a little bit more difficult. But I think if they push back to go back to high school, what what is the thing that pulls you through on that? But I also think that I'm not sure that it's it, I, I'm not sure that we can see ourselves. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, the thing that got us started in our relationship was your ability to look at me and say, hey, this is the theme in your life. This is how I see based on this, this and this. And that's the that's probably the number three thing is, this isn't a number one thing, but that is the number three thing that in, I'm in my coaching relationships with everyone on leadership, that's the one thing that we're trying to do. The first one is what is your purpose? We're so unclear on how to do, how to, how to think about our purpose. And then what are we doing to activate that purpose? 
I think absolutely true. And that can bring people to changes in their career mm-hmm. or changes in their position within mm-hmm. their career. It's pretty easy and pretty big and obvious that if you're a person that cares about changing you know, the world uh, and making it healthier, that mm-hmm. you want to go to work for a chemical company or a food company or a pharma company. Mm-hmm. That's the easy one. Yeah. You know, what if what you want to do for a company, your purpose in life or, you know, your purpose is as simple as I just need to be comfortable. I need to make money. I need to take care of my family. I need to be stable. Mm -hmm. Okay. A little bit more difficult to define, but stability then would probably not be with a startup, right? Mm -hmm. probably would be with an established company where you feel like you could move into it and be promoted regularly for the things you do. I mean, those are two different of the same kind of stability, but it's different. It's different in the way you approach your career. I think first job out of, you know, out of school, you, you know, mainly people just want to make money. They just want to be established. On the other hand, there are some very clear things in these last two generations where they really did want to work for companies that had some very specific criteria in diversity. Again, mm-hmm. more easy because it's an older concept. Mm-hmm. And I go all the time, if we did it right in the 90s, we wouldn't be doing it over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but diversity being one of them, uh, being in an organization that values culture. Yeah. And more companies that value culture now and talk about cultural fit and talk about the ability to have employees who are engaged. That's new concept to us, a new word to us, Denise, in the 30 years that we've been friends. That's a word in the last five years that's probably mm-hmm. um, so prominent. Mm-hmm. But more companies are looking at the way they hire people mm-hmm. who will come and fit with the culture, be with the culture, engage with the culture. I've come out of meetings last week where we talked about how do we find the right people in the right places to be with us in an organization for a long period of time. Goes against these last two generations that are moving jobs every two years. And why would you want to go through that moving two jobs every two years? Yeah, Having to go through that assessment and understanding and making a mark you know, so there's some give and take on both sides of that, of both yeah. the employee and the employer. And it doesn't have to do just with money. You know, mm-hmm. I, I say people all the time, if it's going to make a difference in what their mortgage payment looks like, then they're going to go for money. Yeah. It's got to be a lot of money. It's got to be a, a ton of money to do that. And I totally would understand that. I would encourage people to do it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. But if it's, you know, 5,000 or 10,000, which doesn't make a lot of, you know, unless it's first job. Yeah. Big difference in your mortgage, then, then I think that's a real, that's a different conversation. Yeah, and I, I think that's the other thing. Um, a lot of times, you know, there's this conversation in the air about, you know, women who really want to be present wives and and attentive mothers and 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 have that balance of stability for their family as well as doing good work, that kind of thing. And I think a lot of, uh, I think one contributing factor, I'm not going to say it's the main one, but I think one contributing factor is, is that this idea of scarcity just sits out there. That if I miss this opportunity, or if I don't sacrifice my family for 10 years or eight years, 
then I'm going to miss all of it. I'm never going to be able to get back in it. And I just want to, if you know, if I don't dispel any other myth, that's the myth that I dispel. The other one is if we could do one other thing. So I don't know about you, but the companies I work with, they're always talking about we can't find women who have this executive presence, this leadership, this other stuff. I think that a missing market, particularly now because of COVID, a missing market is how many women who have started a job, started their own company for the right reasons. Maybe they started it because they wanted, they just couldn't stand the cultures that they were in or they had children. I mean, I hear it out of Hollywood a lot, you know, where they're moving away from California so that they can raise their children, be there with them. They're starting movie theaters. I'm just listening to um, The Rock talk about how he moved out and then started his own stuff so that he could be a good father. So it's it, this conversation is changing, but I think as I sit around in some of these entrepreneurial meetings and startups and small businesses, I'm looking at these women who didn't have the opportunity for PL experience before. They're having to do it all now. Yes. But yet you don't, I don't see one recruiter, one CHRO, no one sitting here evaluating who might be ready to come back in. And I say that because one of my mentee, my mentees came to me and said, you know what? I need to, I got to get a job. And everybody that she's confronted with across the board says, well, you are in your own business. Why would you want to do this? And, and we do think that that has been the biggest barrier. You've had to do that, Debbie. How do you navigate that? Well, I can tell you that having been in my own business twice and mm-hmm. having come to me all the time, why would you want to go back inside? Every time I did it was always the number one thing that drove me crazy. Or the other thing was, tell us which one you prefer being inside or outside. Yes. You know, and it's uh, it's kind of like the old joke. Have you stopped beating your wife? It's a trick question. You know, which one do you prefer? Well, it depends on which side of the fence you sit on as to what answer I'm going to give you. The reality is when you're in your own business, Mm -hmm. you eat, breathe, sleep, and worry. It's the first thing you think about in the morning. It's the last thing you think about at night. And your kids and your and your husband always come second because you have to put bread on the table, make it successful, be whatever. Mm-hmm. And you get to see lots of different organizations use whatever your talent is, whatever you're selling, whatever uh, expertise you have. And you get mm-hmm. to see success in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm go inside, you still live, eat, and breathe the organization, but you get a regular paycheck. Mm-hmm. You make that, that own money. You know, a, a CEO of a 10-person company, a CEO of a you know million-person company or a 100,000-person company, same set of rules, yeah. same set of worries, same set of stuff, just difference in how many zeros is after that one. Yeah. That's the only difference. You still have human resources. You are human resources. Right. You're the CFO. You're the COO. You're the CIO. You're all the C-suite rolled into one. And you have kids and a husband and a home and other responsibilities that you want. Right. But you're absolutely right. The ability to take that kind of person, many of them female, and mm-hmm. bring them side. Is there an adjustment? Yes. You've been the CEO, but everybody has a boss, but God, I mean, if we all, if we all kind of are even on that equal, everybody has a boss, but God, and 
And when you come inside, your boss is more obvious. When Mm -hmm. you're outside, your boss is your client, your Mm -hmm. customer. Mm -hmm. So it's not that big of an adjustment to be able to understand it, but it is an adjustment. When you're inside, you get to see the impact of the fruits of your labor. Mm -hmm. So rather than having them piecemeal, scattered all over wherever you've done your business, when you come inside, it's concentrated into one place. And you get to see in some ways much more clearly how successful you are at making impact. Impact, big word. Yeah, Um, Yeah. You make impact when you're outside by how much money you earn. Because if the company is easy to measure. Absolutely. It's a sales job. Mm -hmm. And easy to measure, just like it's easy to measure whether salespeople are good or bad. They've either made a sale or they haven't. Uh, When you're inside, uh, people think you might be able to hide. You can't hide. Right. You still are being measured and you still either make impact or you don't. Mm -hmm. People like you or they don't. They want to work with you or they don't. Same thing as if you're in the outside world. I think the number one miss for talent, who picked the name of it, the talent folks, is not tapping into this. Because I I think it doesn't really matter whether you, you know, and the room was full of like coaches and, and I mean, that's it. Um, I met a woman who's running a healthcare uh, company, her own healthcare company. I, you know, these are very prominent. And at some point you need women on boards. Why aren't we looking at these women? Why aren't we at these meetings where they are showing up and talking about this very same things that when I go to, you know, the chamber of commerce, or I have a, a coaching session with the CEO talking about the very same things yet all the folks who make the decisions on where to hunt for people, where to go get them, never dawns on them to go and see who is at that point. You know, maybe the kids are out. Some of these women, the kids are out. They just want they they just need to go and they want to stop hunting for the paycheck. But they have such great value. And all you have to do is the same thing you do with any other hire. Help them learn the culture and what are the do's and what are the don'ts and then let them go. Because these are go-getters because they've all they've had to hustle for years to make it happen. Right. Right. Nope. I couldn't. And who agree. doesn't want a hustler in their company? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Whether they're internal doing some internal internal hustler, whether they're bringing other things in, whether they're bringing uh, acquisitions to the table, whether they're looking at opportunities where we can expand, where product development can be done, where product management can be done. All of those things are important. They're important to us at Brown and Brown. We look at acquiring and we have acquired um, historically, you know, agencies. I don't know how many of them. I don't know the stats on how many of them were female run, but, you know, from the insurance business, it's all about the hustle and, you know, employee benefits aren't going away. That piece of healthcare and benefits and what we offer to employees as Mm -hmm. benefits, it's not going away. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be getting deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, and we're going to need it more and more. There's lots of opportunities yeah. and opportunities who have been, you know, for women who traditionally have been in care, health care, mm-hmm. beauty care. They've been in caring kinds of um, situations. Absolutely right. Especially, well, you know, another podcast, another idea, because for 20 plus years, I took care of my parents and the amount of navigation and switching your emotional intelligence for all the providers that have to go around in taking care of either, you know, I've got two kids and, and now, you know, 
their kids are, are special needs. So all the interactions with healthcare, et cetera, you got to learn how to navigate a lot of people, network with a lot of people, get people to do things and change their priority list to you being on the top of it. So, and, and they're confronted with so many other requests, et cetera. So I think these are really, really good skills that just, just don't get talked about, don't get moved over. And I think we're missing an opportunity you know, in the same song of, well, we can't find them. Well, where are you looking? <laughs> right. I mean, how many times have you said that? Where are you looking? Because they're everywhere. Absolutely right. You know, I come up from a family of educators and healthcare workers. And those two areas, you know, are places where there's so many demands on those people mm-hmm. and so hands on the people that interact. And as you say, you know, you took care of elderly parents. I was fortunate that my my parents were were never in a situation of being ill and having to do that. But, but you know, having a close family who do, does have problems, we come back to the, you know, the Thanksgiving table or a family dinner and we say, what do families do? What do individuals do who don't have family members yeah. help them to navigate the systems? Mm-hmm. And Navigations are very, very difficult many times. And, you know, whether it's for education of children or whether it's for elderly parents and yeah. your falls to the woman always falls to the women always. You know, the, the other side of it is, is that, you know, when you read and this, you know, this this whole podcast of itself is kind of a conversation around women. But I think it's also a conversation just in general about your careers, et cetera. But when you read all the you know, from Harvard Business Review to, you know, strategy and plus, there's a there's an underlying conversation around women preparing for the CEO role or the C-suite role or even the VP, EVP role, and that they face having to not be so feminine. You know, that's the that's the words we hear to be strong, to have the pressure of adjusting who they are to fit in to navigate these politics, it takes an enormous toll on us to be able to have to carry that weight around in it. Do you, as you know, cause you've been there and you've coached others to get there. What do you talk to them about when it, when they come up with a, Oh, I need to change this and I got to do this. And, you know, he said that, or she said that or whatever it is. Um, yes. I have coached on that many, many times. Mm-hmm. Yes. I faced it myself. I've been, as you have yourself, been the only woman in the room. You've been the only African-American woman in the room many times. Um, and I I know for a fact that that coaching starts from kindergarten. That's mm. a whole nother podcast, Denise. But yes. <laughs> um, whole nother okay, okay, so you know what? I'm going to put that on the list. Yeah. <laughs> And it's a podcast that's getting much better. Um, You know, I have a 20-something-year-old daughter, much better in how coaches coach and who's on the team and whether it's a co-ed team or not a co-ed team and how that coaching happens in sports, in art, in music, because Mm -hmm. there's much prejudice as who's going to be the the number one chair. Yep, first chair. Orchestra, as there is, as who's going to be the leader of the pitch or who's going to be the biggest catcher or who's going to be the center on the basketball team. It goes every place, across everything. 
but it's talent. It's hard work. You know, first, you have to have the talent, you have to have the hard work, you have to have the education to have been developed to do all that. It's who gets the first chair in the in the trial. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, all those things. Mm-hmm. So everything being equal with education, with hard work, with talent, then has to be the ability, male or female, to really be the person who classically can do the best work because mm-hmm. And that's putting you in that first chair or second chair wants to know that they, all of us being people of self-absorption, <laughs> wants to know that they are successful at having selected man or woman for the first chair. So the CEO that selects you to be on his or her team wants to know and have confidence that they've selected wisely. Are they much better at giving the uh, opportunity equally to male and female? Yes, I believe they're much better at wanting to do Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. I believe they're, I couldn't put a figure on it, but I think that they're much, much better and almost equal at wanting to put male or female on there. Are they doing it? No, they're not, obviously. Yeah, yeah. the numbers would be different. Yeah, yeah. It's not for lack of wanting to, it's for some kind of pullback. Mm -hmm. Either one person is 97.8% and the other person is 97.6%. It could be that close, but it's not getting done. And part of that from my position as leading talent acquisition for for Brown and Brown is to be sure that we're looking at everybody from an equal standpoint and that the people that are on the slate of candidates yeah. look like what's in the, you know, what's in our national best interest, our international best interest, 50-50. Now, let's look at it. Let's see it. Let's see it for what it is. And making sure that we have everybody at the table because it helps our business. It, it couldn't be proven any more times than it has, article after article after yeah. article. Research article. study after research study after research <laughs> yeah. study. I don't, I don't need to quote it and I'm not going to quote it anymore. There's no point. It's out there. It's a, it's an accepted fact. So it just needs to get done. Yeah. 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 I have a friend, um, Colin, and he was on the podcast and we were talking about what does it take to, you know, have a high performance, inclusive culture. And he just said, just do it. We need to stop talking about it. We just need to do it. Take the action to do it. Right. It just needs to get done. And, and that's the, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking anymore about, you know, why you need to i'm all finished with it just do it either you believe it or don't and if you believe then act like it right um as usual we've run up against the end (laughs) (laughs) oh guys let me tell you um if you're listening to this we you know if you like it share it if you don't like it share it because i can't promise you it will give generate a conversation that will help you close the gap between where you're getting from where you are now to where you want to be but the other side of it is is that if you like this please you know leave a review pass it on let us know send me a message send me an email that um about your questions from the podcast that you want have answered or things that you that struck you as I don't believe that or wow are we still talking about those kinds of things because Debbie's going to be back next month we like to hear what you're thinking what we, what you're talking about the way to get in touch with either one of us is in the show notes here 
You can always leave a message on my website. There's a comment section. It's at info one at RLL lessons um, out of this. So, you know, follow us, tag us, share us, because I promise you the way to learn to move forward is to have these kinds of conversations and that will help you close the gap. With that, Debbie, last words. I just hope everybody's moving forward this week and uh, keep thinking about how you make impact. What are your superpowers at work? What is your super strength? And keep moving toward that. All right, then you heard it here. And hopefully, instead of just listening, you will take action. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.